0: Welcome to Wireless Future. Uh, my name is Erik Larsson and I'm here as always with my colleague Emil Björnsson. Emil, hello. How are you today? I'm doing fine. It's finally spring in Sweden. Oh yeah, it is. Um, it's really nice outside indeed. Um, so, today the topic for our discussion is going to be on distributed and cell free massive MIMO. and um, The context in which to view this is that Cellular Massive MIMO is now a commercial reality. Mm. Uh, It is a technology that went from, say, a wild academic idea about a decade ago, to a hot research topic in academia, to a main topic of the 5G standardization, to a commercial reality where all the main vendors are selling and deploying projects and networks are out there, I mean, operating the, the, the equipment, right? Hmm. Um, distributed and self-free massive MIMO is an emerging concept where the idea is that instead of having the antennas mounted in a like panel with you know, like half a wavelength of spacing or on that order, the antennas are rather distributed over a larger geographical area. And uh, this technology has uh, many names, uh, distributed massive MIMO, self free massive MIMO, user centric MIMO, network MIMO, uh, there's also the notion of uh, comp and coordinated multipoint transmission, ultra dense networks and so forth. And I thought we'd today uh, discuss these different technologies and terms. terms. I also know that you, Emil, just as published, together with Urslem, uh, Tukvedemir and Lucas and Giannetti, a new book, right. Foundations of User-Centric self free Massive Mindward. It just came out, and I'm the privileged owner of a signed copy. Thank you very much. And congratulations, of course, to, to such a comprehensive uh, guide and, and treatment of the topic. Um, Thank you. So would you like to get? Uh, started um, Emil to explain here I mean uh, what are all these terms and do they all refer to the same thing or is there a like distinction between them? So I
1: think these are partially overlapping terms but they are not identical and the the devil is in the detail here as usual so uh, I would say that distributed MIMO and uh, uh, maybe network MIMO are uh, more or less the same thing. So the idea is that instead of having antennas that are serving you located on one place, they are distributed so that it's like physically different locations. So you, uh, you as a user would view them as being at different locations. Then COMP or Coordinate and Multipoint was sort of in 4G and naming for the idea of having multiple base stations that are serving the same user. And that could be done in different ways. They could just coordinate what they are doing. So I'm scared of this user, you're scaling that user. Let's try to avoid interference. Or they could uh, try to adapt their powers or they could transmit joint to the user. And then we come into the same thing as distributed uh, MIMO or network MIMO. Then um, you mentioned ultra dense networks. Uh, This Mm. is a entirely different thing from the beginning. Mm. The idea that you are deploying a huge number of base stations, uh, small base stations located everywhere. They should outnumber the number of active users by far. And uh, uh, then it's still a cellular network, so you're still connecting to one of them. And then finally, the combination then would be that you have a lot of base stations everywhere, but they are jointly serving you. And that is what we have been starting to call cell free MIMO uh, or user centric cell free MIMO because uh, the user centric means that you're, of course, not served by a base station that is 10 kilometers away. You have some kind of cluster of surrounding base stations that are serving you. Mm.
0: Right, so basically you're saying that cell-free massive MIMO is the ultimate embodiment of this idea that you'd be all surrounded by service antennas and they'd be all like operating face coherently together, but effectively, you know, as a user, you you stand somewhere, then you, you'll receive only a signal from the handful or or ten or so antennas or access points that are closest to you Uh,
1: yeah at least it's the best combination that we know so far maybe it's not the ultimate form maybe there is something better to do in the future but uh, yeah it's the the latest version of this technology combining all the good aspects from the past
0: yeah yeah so um now I suppose, I mean, these deployments here could be both indoors and outdoors, right? So when Mm -hmm. we say geographically distributed, they could be anything from separating the antennas, I mean, going from like half a wavelength spacing that we have in conventional co-located massive MIMO panels to something like, well, half a meter or, you know, at least many multiple wavelengths, right? Mm -hmm. Up to outdoor deployments where I suppose you could have like hundreds of meters in between of the access points. Is that a correct understanding? Oh, the yeah. terminology here. Yes, uh, I would say that. So from a,
1: a user perspective, I think the important thing is that the the uh, array uh, sort of looks large from, from your perspective. So if I'm sitting here in a small room and you spread out the antennas over the wall, well, then I need to move around my eyes to see them. And if you're outdoor, you also spread them out. Or then you're seeing a larger area, and then you can spread them out even more.
0: Right. So. So in what sense will now distribute or I mean let's call this self let's use the term cell free massive mimo mm-hmm. because that seems to be really the, the term that's emerging here. Um, um, in what sense is cell- free massive mimo where the antennas are spread out? Is that superior to like having building cellular systems with massive mimo panels that sit on towers and uh, sort the terminals?
1: Uh, So it always depends on how your propagation environment looked like and where you can deploy things. But uh, the general idea is that uh, when you have just a few locations with uh, big base stations that might have a lot of... uh, possibilities of directing signals towards you, but they're still on a few locations. That means that there will be large variations in your signal quality depending on if you are close by or or far away. And by spreading out the antennas you are evening out those type of variations. So on the average you should have a a, a better, more constant signal quality. Then uh, you might sort of take away the benefit of having all the antennas and you're standing right next to it. Uh, but you also take away the possibility of being very far from all of the antennas. Now you are close to to at least uh, some of the antennas, uh, and that's what we call a macro diversity.
0: Mm. So it's really this extreme level of macro diversity here that's the main benefit, and right. I mean, the fact that no matter where you are, you are almost certain to be in the vicinity of well, at least one of these access points or or, or perhaps Hmm. even uh, a few few up to a handful of them. Is, Is that like the way to think about the benefits here as compared to cellular deployments? Yes so that is the, the first uh, step but then you could
1: create a cellular network in this way and that is what we call then ultra dense network but the problem with that is that if you as a user have a strong signal to not only one access point but many then mm-hmm. you will get immense interference from those uh, access points that are not serving you unless mm-hmm. you let all the access point with a strong signal to you, serve you. And then it's, right. you're coming into this distributed MIMO idea. And then you can utilize these access point to jointly transmit to you. So they focus the energy at your point and they can also control how they're transmitting to control interference. And uh, I would like to compare this to sort of when you like to localize uh, someone If you're just looking from one direction, you don't have so much possibilities of seeing different uh, people. You can only uh, separate them in one angle direction, but when you have multiple locations, uh, you can triangulate someone. You can see them from different angles, and you can figure out where Mm -hmm. you would like to focus your attention, Mm -hmm. either to localize, but in this case, to focus your signal energy. And in that way, you have new possibilities of interference suppression by focusing Mm -hmm. signals in space.
0: It's a good analogy. So essentially, what you're saying is that I mean, all the access points together act as a, as a huge antenna array that can beamform and also suppress interference, such that when you serve a particular terminal, you also make sure to not spread directional interference that could hit the others. Yes, and uh, the term beamforming is something that
1: traditionally meant, particularly from one location you're forming a angular singular bea- mm. single beam towards a user. And uh, now we are sort of generalizing this concept and we're not forming beams that we can mm. uh, picture anymore, but the signal energy comes from different directions. And then yeah. around the location we are, they happen to meet each other, be in, totally in phase, amplify each other, and therefore locally you get a stronger signal.
0: Right, it's really like I mean all the each access point generates and transmits a waveform and when these waveforms transmitted by all the access points in the network superimpose at the terminals, then they superimpose constructively at the terminal they want to transmit the signal to and destructively at the others so that no interference is generated. Is that a good way to think yeah. about yeah, uh, uh, going uh, on here.
1: exactly, and you can also uh, think about like an ocean where you see the waves uh, going up and down and then you are creating the waves yourself from a few different locations you make sure that at one particular location so you always have very large waves coming up mm-hmm. and down uh, and you only control it, so it happens at one location.
0: Right, so it's like in the ocean, I mean at some spots it'll be good for surfing and some spots it'll be good for uh, like swimming for the kids and you can yes. control. Which spots to be, the behave in, in, in what way by selecting the amplitude and phase of the oscillations that you generate. Yeah. We, we should yeah, patent well. that idea of self <laughs> free
1: massive MIMO for uh, surf <laughs> <laughs> applications. <laughs>
0: um, so there's also this notion of favorable propagation, and hmm. um, as I understand, in a um, cellular massive MIMO system. if you are in like line of sight conditions with your terminal Mm. and the terminal has multiple antennas then the channel from the terminal to the base station might be ranked efficient such that you can effectively only send one spatial stream to it Mm. Uh, i mean irrespective of the 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 fact that it has multiple antennas and in theory would be capable of separating multiple streams but the issue is that all the signals that reach the Terminal come from the base station in, in such a small angular window that the channel is rank deficient. Um, so, uh, cell-free massive MIMO does away with this problem to some extent. Um, could yeah. you uh, elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Yes. So, uh, in order to be able to receive multiple signals from. A base station you need signals to reach it from sufficiently different directions so you can use your receive antennas and sort of listen in that direction then listen in that direction Uh, of course you do it at the same time and if you don't have a propagation environment that delivers that automatically well then you are then setting up the transmitters and from different locations and then you you're receiving the signal from different Mm -hmm. angles and you can then use your uh, receiver array to listen to these different signals and separate them and send different data
0: Right, it's really like, I mean, each antenna or each access point in this cell-free network sends a different stream to the terminal, and they all come mm. into the terminal from very different directions, and therefore can be separated by, by using the, the, um, the, the, the multiple antennas that the terminal has. Mm. Um, so, is cell-free Massive MIMO related to the concept of CloudRAWN? Uh, Yes and no. So uh, I would say Cloud Run, that is a
1: a, sort of the architecture underneath the uh, uh, sort of how you build your network. So it's a cloud radio access network and Traditionally when you put up a base station you have the antenna and the radio then you have a baseband processing unit, a computer that is computing how you generate your signal and decodes the signal and things like that. And uh, Then traditionally these things have been on the same locations. You put up a base station, a tower, you put all the equipment there. But then over the past ten years there have been this willingness to move the computing power to a joint location. Why? Well, mm-hmm. if you have 10 base stations in an area, it's very unlikely that all those 10 base stations will be loaded fully at the same time. to have a lot of users everywhere. So if you are co-locating their processing powers, you might get away with having five times the processing power instead of 10 times that you mm-hmm. would need to serve these 10 base stations. So this is sort of a movement where you, you move these things. We call it to the cloud, but it's... Uh, you, it's not like the cloud that can be anywhere in the world is rather an edge cloud, so somewhere in the mm-hmm. neighborhood because the speed of light limits you how far away you can put these type mm-hmm. of things and still have a good latency. Uh, so that is what we have been doing when it comes to sort of rebuilding cellular networks. But then we can utilize this structure in order to build a self massive MIME system. So, when people start to talk about the distributed MIME ideas, one of the limitations that made it hard to build was precisely that, oh, the base stations need to send this much signals to each other. So, we need to have dedicated cables for that. And yeah. uh, that is too expensive. But if you are anyway going to have a set of access points that are doing their processing at the same physical location, at the same edge cloud, well, then it's easy for them to share information with each other because it's in the same memory. Uh, so it's sort of one of the enablers for actually building this type of cell-free or distributed mime systems that people have been envisioning for a while.
0: Mm. So Cloud Run is really about sharing computational resources required for the radio processing uh, among different access points and yeah
1: uh, at least that is was the, the first point and then we are now also in the case of oh maybe we we don't need to have dedicated hardware anymore mm. for this that the, the vendor needs to create themselves but maybe we can use off-the-shelf hardware uh, have it more like server processing capabilities and then we virtualize everything uh, so there is a lot of other things going into that and maybe we will cover
0: that in a different episode <laughs> sure yeah um so in terms of um, different types of deployments of cell-free massive MIMO, there is this idea or concept of radio stripes hmm? that uh, I know you have a few papers and um, my understanding is that it's supposed to be like a, a, a stripe of tape essentially where that, that that might be a couple of centimeters thick and uh, but very thin, like a millimeter or, or even less. And you could hmm. roll out like tape and attached to the walls or even like building uh, facades uh, outdoors. Um, Could you explain a little more on on this idea? Yes,
1: so the issue with deploying a cell-free network is okay you want to have access point everywhere, then you need to have power supply, you need to have a Cable where you can send the data back and forth and that requires a lot of both engineering efforts to, to put things up and uh, you would need to be allowed to put up things everywhere and uh, Then when we were starting to discuss this with people in the industry both you and me I think talked with the uh, people at Ericsson for example, then they were saying that Oh, it will be too many cables So this will be complicated and then they came back to us and said, well, we have this idea that If you're gonna draw a cable from one location to an antenna somewhere far away, why not put everything into the uh, cable? So we do the power supply through the cable and we put additional antennas within the cable so one cable becomes the entire distributed MIMO base station. Uh, so that was sort of the, the starting point. And then they started to call this radio stripes. And I think mm-hmm. on the Mobile World Congress, Ericsson was also showing something that they call radio stripes uh, uh, for the, the industry mm-hmm. as a concept.
0: So, so, so it is a bit like, I mean, going from um, I mean, a conventional. Station, and then you think of something the size of a fridge and it uh, <laughs> has like lots of electronics and uh, circuit boards and power supplies and so forth inside, and then mm. is connected to antennas through maybe coax cables that in themselves might be quite thick, right? I mean, mm. to something that looks like a roll of tape, and uh, that seems like an uh, amazing uh, vision indeed, but could one actually? build anything like that, I mean I would think that just the distribution of um, electrical power would require a, uh, a, a DC supply, I mean a, a copper cable to carry the current, right? And also to transmit the actual data along this stripe, then uh, either one would have to use um, transmitter electrical signals, which requires to start with at least the ground plane. Or perhaps a coax cable sort of architecture, or one could use maybe fiber optics. Or so, what is the vision here in terms of what actual technology that would be used to transmit, on one hand, the signal itself, and concurrently to that also the electrical power. Hmm. Uh, So
1: I think it's still a question of trying to figure out the best implementation of this. Uh, So one option would indeed be to just build this on uh, Ethernet cables. So the typical uh, Internet cables, there is already a technology where you can transmit power over that one. You can transmit 100 watt I think over 100 meters or something like that. But then the the issue I think with that is that every time you put in an antenna you probably need to terminate the cable. and then you put your antenna there and then you take another piece of power of ethernet so there might be a lot of losses along the way but uh, you could build something at least uh, daisy chain like that uh, of a certain length. But uh, ideally you would like to use fiber uh, cables uh, both so you could get the uh, high capacity of the fiber cable and because you could uh, use different kinds of splitters to let the fiber cable go uh, mm. all the way to the end but then also take out signals from it using mm. splitters at the different yeah. uh, antennas along the way.
0: So basically uh, transmitting the signal itself over an optical fiber and then using wavelength d- d- division splitters or something like that mm. along the way. So I mean it seems to me that um, the um, a realistic embodiment of this vision would, would be more of like a Christmas tree lightning where you have like a cable and uh, on the cable there are lamps attached right so here there'd be a cable and there'd be small antennas um, attached to it with some separation maybe a meter or half a meter or something like that. Um, I think that uh, is
1: a good description and I think one thing to mention there is as well that uh, the idea is to sort of start more from the type of uh, circuitry that we have in cell phones. So Mm -hmm. uh, the cell phone is pretty large today, but it's mainly a screen and a big battery. And then there's just a small radio chip there. So if you take out those things, you can make it fairly small. And uh, uh, then uh, if we are targeting the conventional, like say 3.5 gigahertz band, then it will probably be like in the Christmas tree where you have a cable and then Mm -hmm. you have things sticking out of it. But if you go up in frequency, uh, maybe to 30 gigahertz in a millimeter wave band or even above that, you might even have the antennas so small that they are just st- sticked on the outside of it and you are mm. are barely seeing it.
0: Mm. That's of course a good point. I mean the antenna size uh, shrinks in proportion to the wavelength, right? So at mm. millimeter wave you could really build very thin structures and very small antennas and it would look, if not like a stripe of tape at least, uh, <laughs> it could be very thin potentially and like flexible and could attach and be easily installed in buildings and on, on the... Uh, 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 outdoors on the facade of buildings. And I think that there are a few different potential use
1: cases for this. One is in the millimeter wave bands where you we have this issue with that the signals easily get blocked. So they are coming in from Uh, If they just come from one direction, Mm. if you happen to block it with your hand or your body, you'd have a weak signal. But if the signals are coming from many different directions, well then the risk that we block all of them at the same time should be substantially smaller. So that Mm. would be one sort of reason to use it. And another reason is that there are many like historical places where you are not allowed to put up big base stations that look ugly, but you still have cables on the walls that you are, are not seeing. so if you can put up something there, uh, just that you have cables that are protecting and lightning, for example, uh, you can put up base stations that are invisible mm.
0: yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the technical challenges mm? in actually building anything like this. I mean, um, obviously there'll be lots of challenges in in designing and building the electronics, right? but mm. what are the challenges from a say com theory and Signal processing perspective.
1: Yes, so uh, there are all of these different layers in the protocols uh, in wireless, and I think th- most of the attention over the last uh, decade <laughs> have been on the physical layer. Uh, or- so, so that is what i've been working with for a long time mm-hmm. and that is sort of what we are mainly summarizing in the book that you showed us so mm-hmm. what kind of signal processing goes in there uh, in order to learn the communication channels in order to design how you transmit and how you receive and how you distribute this uh, over the access point and the cl- edge cloud processor and and these type of things but then there are a lot, lot of other challenges that are appearing so you would like to sort of understand how you should distribute the signals and the processing, where should you do what in order to make it as efficient as possible, to limit how much information needs to be sent around and when you're sending out inform- around information you might need to quantize them and you all have latency issues that it takes mm-hmm. time to think- send things around. So there are these type of challenges and uh, you want it to be scalable so you can build a big network uh, without having too much resources at every location and still keep it sort of self free so that everyone is served by all of its surrounding access points mm. and you want everything to be synchronized and you will need to be able to control a big network even if you are uh, uh, ha- have something that is large and where you're not breaking it down into small controllable regions but the entire system needs to be controlled.
0: Mm. So, I mean, it sounds like, um, so I understand what you're saying here is that most of the limitations in terms of the communication theory is on the physical layer, right? I mean, no surprise, it's always the physics that limits what we can do, just like biology limits what human can do, right? I mean, I can't (laughs) jump from, you know, the garden up to on on the roof of the house, for example, and (laughs) for uh, um, so it's always the physics that limits, ultimately, um, for a given transmit power and so forth, how much data we can convey, right? But hmm. So I understand there are challenges on the physical layer in terms of how to design waveforms and beamforming and get channel estimates and all that. Are there also challenges on higher layers in the protocol stack? Yes, uh, to uh, make self free massive mime work
1: I think that is where the the main challenges are for the moment from a research perspective mm. because uh, uh, as I said we know pretty well how to do the signal processing at uh, the physical layer. Uh, but the, the issue is that we are used to building these networks, cellular networks, where you are sort of you take some kind of divide mm. and conquer approach to networking. You say we have a big region, let's divide mm. into cells, then every cell can operate autonomously from each other and then we can do things there. They can scatter the users, they can select the powers, mm. they can uh, uh, yeah, do uh, different types mm-hmm. of tasks uh, in, in terms of controlling things. But mm-hmm. if you now are connecting together a lot of things, then you have the issue that you uh, uh, you now need to solve these problems over big regions. And you have sort of the, <laughs> the, the butterfly effect if you're changing something in one location, this will influence the entire network. So we need to find right. ways of dealing with this and still uh, uh, keep the, the complexity reasonable.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I guess one could make a case perhaps that this is still a physical layer sort of problem, right? But, um, okay. Yeah, let's but we, I think call we call it network, it, doesn't it, Yeah, Yeah, I mean, um, it, it,
1: in the protocol stack, it's more like the medium access layer and
0: the network yeah, uh, layer. Yeah, the max layer might be. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. Yeah. Okay, so now um, I think we were onto this earlier also with distributed processing. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that possible and how would it work? So there are a few different locations where you could do your
1: processing Uh, and (laughs) to keep it simple there will be two different locations Um, at the access points where you have the antennas and radios and at this edge cloud and uh, Mm. then uh, I can think of to start with three different ways of doing it. One is to try to distribute everything as much as possible so you try to do everything at the access point but there is one thing you can't do, if they should transmit the same data well then you need to encode the data uh, at the edge cloud send it out and then the access point can select how they transmit on their own Mm. and Mm. if they should collaborate in terms of decoding the data well then they need to uh, make their like soft guesses of what the data is send that to the cpu who is fusing the information and makes the final decisions taking all of their uh, yeah their input into account so that is sort of a, a fully distributed approach Then there is the centralized approach where the access point tries to do nothing. Uh, So you just receive things, sample, and then you send everything up to the uh, edge cloud who's doing all the processing for you. And then uh, in the downlink, it is pre-computing everything that should be done. And then you send it back to the access point, which is just converting it to an analog signal, send it out uh, through the antenna, and that's it. Uh, And then maybe you should find something in between some kind of semi-distributed thing and and one option is uh, Is to sort of uh, try to make use of like the uh, if you have a radio stripe that the signal is uh, Flowing from one access point to the next one to the next one to the next one until it reaches the the CPU or the uh, edge cloud and uh, then you try to uh, sort of improve the signals along the way so you get some kind of sequential improvement of the estimates and then uh, you are distributing the processing in that particular way so there's not much left to do at the central processing point.
0: Mm. So you're saying essentially that there is an advantage to uh, in in distributing as much as processing and, and putting as much as possible of the computational burden say on the access points and as little as possible on the edge cloud or the central processing unit um, still i mean it might not be entirely obvious why you could not just mm. you know i think as you said yesterday also just sample the signals and feed them over the fiber and then deal with everything at the edge cloud and the edge cloud could be like a fridge size kind of <laughs> big <laughs> box that stands somewhere mm. and has unlimited power supply and uh, no space constraints and so forth so is there like a uh, consensus on the best way of organizing all this um, processing and computations i think
1: from a communication performance perspective uh, it's probably the best thing to centralize it Uh, at least if you 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 have the frontal infrastructure enough to, uh, so you can quantize the signals with high resolution and set them up there. And you can live with uh, the potentially increased latency of doing that. Uh, but uh, uh, what could, uh, I think it depends a lot on also um, uh, how the network is built. So mm. if you have many antennas on every access point, uh, so that in particular if the number of antennas there is outnumbering uh, how many users you are serving from that access point. In that case uh, you have a higher dimension of your information that you receive uh, it's, uh, than the number of users you are serving. And then Mm. by compressing that information down to a dimension that matches with number of users, you have less information Mm. to send up to the central processing unit. So if that Mm. is the case, it's good to have some of the processing, some kind of pre-processing compression at the access point. Mm. Well, if you only have Mm. one antenna on every access point, but you are serving a multitude of users and you are building Mm. the network based on the idea that... uh, Every access point is unable to deal with interference at all, but by getting help from the surrounding ones, then you are uh, making it work. And in that Mm. case, if you only have one antenna, but you serve four users, then you will have to send up four times the information if you do the pre-processing at the access point. So it depends on the architecture there, Uh, but I'm personally in favor of trying to centralize as much as possible.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it seems that uh, there's a gold mine of research problems here in terms of finding the actual optimum for how the processing should be distributed, right? Whether to do as much as possible at the access points or whether to do almost or nothing there and then collect all the samples (laughs) at the uh, edge cloud and and let it do the job. Yeah, Um, yeah, precisely. You mentioned earlier I think uh, butterfly effect and uh, I think we were on this topic of scalability which mm-hmm. is obviously critical here um, and yeah maybe you want to have a go at that. Yeah so you want to be able to build a large network with a lot of access
1: points having a lot of users and then you want it also to be scalable uh, so you can build that but uh, then the difficult thing is to actually define in a concise manner what does it mean to be scalable. And this is something I spent some time thinking about how to deal with. Uh, So uh, if you say that you, okay, I have 100 access points, and then as the number of users is increasing, well, what you typically do in your network after a while, if you cannot handle more users, you start to schedule users at different times. So from that perspective, uh, scalability might not be a big issue. You can just... uh, if you have too many users, you just let them take turns. Mm. I think the the important thing in terms of scalability is rather that that as the number of users is increasing, you will probably put up another antenna, another radio stripe, and get more mm. access point into it. And what you uh, and that will then entail you put them up in order to serve more users. And then you don't want to be in a situation where you need to go back and upgrade all of the other access points. So they can uh, help the the new ones that you put up. So Mm -hmm. I think that is how to uh, sort of define scalability. Uh, You need uh, to be able to have a, a finite amount of processing power and memory and things at every access point and then you should be able to grow the network and it should still work You don't not need to go back and, and operate and uh, and it's then things like memory processing capability and frontal capacity uh, for every uh, access point that you would like to stay fixed as you're growing the network.
0: Mm. I guess um, my understanding of the scalability problem being that, I mean, if you take a cell-free network mm. with um, access points and an edge uh, server or, or central processing unit, mm. and then you grow it, so you add more and more and more access points, eventually, I mean, it's like it could cover the whole world, right? Um, but that seems impossible to cover the whole world with a single edge cloud. So eventually mm. you'd have to break it up mm. into multiple say, air quotes, <laughs> uh, cell-free networks, where you know, each cell-free network has an edge cloud and a bunch of access points. Now the question is, I mean, will these cell-free networks not then start to interfere with one another? And uh, wouldn't one have to coordinate their operation somehow, just like one has to coordinate the operation of base stations in a cellular network? I mean, the distinction mm. would be that, you know, it's like we would have cells with base stations, but the base station itself would consist of an edge cloud and then distributed antennas. Mm. Um, so we would recreate all these problems with like cell boundaries and handovers yeah. and uh, you know power control and so forth. Um, is that a say valid understanding of the scalability issue in your opinion?
1: Yes, uh, this is one of the issues, uh, one of the things you would like to avoid. So when people in the 4G era started to uh, talk about multi multipoint or comp, uh, what it all culminated in was that uh, say, so, oh, we, we cannot coordinate the entire world. So let's take our base stations, let's divide them into uh, here is one set of base station, here's another one, non-overlapping, here's another one. Let's operate this together, maybe using an edge cloud, and then we are creating sort of bigger cells but with distributed big base stations so it's not Mm. uh, as we are viewing it as having many small access points but it's Mm. still the same type of approach and uh, this is what we call a network centric approach so you Mm. you pre divide your coverage area into regions still, it's just that you have different types of equipment in there and you still have the, the intercell interference issues. So, mm-hmm. uh, that is why uh, we like to call it user-centric, where you would like to make sure that wherever you are, you will always be served by all the surrounding access points, not that, okay, if you, uh, this one belongs to this uh, edge cloud, this one belongs to that other ex- edge cloud, and you can only be served mm-hmm. by one of them. So we need these edge clouds to talk to each other as well. Mm-hmm.
0: So in that respect, I mean, a cell-free system that consists of multiple edge clouds with their access points is not that different from a cellular system. You still need to coordinate among the edge clouds somehow, just like you have to coordinate among the base stations in a cellular network, right? Yes, uh, um, yeah. I think the way to, to, to view it might be that uh, so
1: for every user there is a task to be done which uh, yeah. entails processing its uplink and its downlink data. And that processing needs to be uh, placed somewhere or distributed over a network. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, you need to involve uh, everyone who could sort of have an effect on the user. And mm-hmm. uh, then it st- starts to become complicated when you build a network large. And, and I think that is why these ideas have been around for a fairly long time, but it still is... Uh, uh, viewed as hard to implement it over a larger mm-hmm. scale, but that, that's why we yeah.
0: do research. It, it is and yeah, <laughs> indeed. I mean, um, another thing here which comes with the um, which is connected to the scalability question is also the need for synchronization, right? Mm -hmm. And there are, in fact, a couple of different kinds of synchronization. Number one, you need a coarse time sync so that you stay within your cyclic prefix in OFDM and so forth. Number two, you need a frequency sync. That's good enough. But then more importantly, you also need uh, two kinds of uh, calibration. First, reciprocity calibration. If you operate in TDD, time division duplex, and rely on reciprocity for the beamforming, then each antenna at each one of the access points has to be calibrated for reciprocity, such that there's no phase imbalance between uplink and downlink. Hmm. And number two, the access points also have to be phase aligned, such that everyone agrees on when, say, the the global phaser uh, points to zero for the joint beamforming in the downlink to work. And um, this can be achieved by, I mean, using different calibration techniques. But isn't there a scalability issue here as well? I mean that you know it's one thing to keep the antennas synchronized if we build a uh, network that spans sits in the room here or spans the garden or maybe even like a couple of hundred meters (laughs) outdoors. But if we're going now to synchronize um, a larger area, this seems to be a, a huge challenge. Um, mm. how to actually distribute and, and and keep them all to the same phase. Um, you you want to comment on that? Yes, so the,
1: I think there are several aspects to that. One is that uh, uh, even if we are uh, able to synchronize them exactly uh, to the same phase, uh, since we are looking at large propagation areas, uh, we, we cannot for Hundreds of kilometers uh, keep everything time synchronized. Uh, uh, so uh, I, for example in LTE and maybe in, in 5G you have a cyclic prefix as you was mentioning and and that might mean that signals that are transmitted within a few kilometers could be synchronized with the center and the uplink and the downlink. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, even if we can synchronize things perfectly we'll still have issues over longer distances but then Mm. Yes, uh, uh, the access point that are in one group of u- access point that are serving one particular user, you want them to be synchronized with each other mm. so that they can transmit the signal so they reach in phase, uh, so mm. they are added on top of each other and then mm. uh, next to that there is another user that is served by partially the same access point but not exactly and they mm. also need to be phase synchronized and then it sort of spills over the entire network and you get this kind mm. of uh, like butterfly like effect and I I think the aspect there is that you cannot get everything to be perfectly synchronized but you need the synchronization errors between sort of neighboring access points to be fairly small so so we need a procedure where we can uh, keep this one small and uh, maybe you can use um, GPS clock uh, GPS receptions for example in outdoor scenarios for for something like that or sending around uh, so you have a a local clock in each access point and then you send around signals that helps you to synchronize these type of things. Yeah, I mean there
0: is certainly no shortage of uh, technical Mm. challenges here to to, uh, solve and to conduct research on, and synchronization is certainly one of them. I thought of, um, before we would close up here, to talk a little bit about the history of mm-hmm. these ideas. And I think we concluded the other day when we spoke, Emil, that you know we were looking at the history of MIMO, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Multi-antenna transmission in general. And it goes back at least, I think we found some... Um, was it a patent or a technical paper by I think it was Alexander, so almost a hundred years ago, uh, that suggested the use of like um, <laughs> more than one antenna in in a wireless transmission, right? So yes. for um, for self-free, um, where did these ideas originate?
1: It, it's always hard to track things back in time because the more you are looking, the the more you find people who are uh, sort of touching upon the same. Uh, ideas. So there might uh, have been results uh, that I'm not aware of. What I have identified in particular is when these ideas appeared in the information theory area. So in 1994 Aaron Weiner started to talk about uh, uh, the idea of when you are receiving signals from users that the base station should cooperate. And uh, his idea was sort of that say that you have free uh, receiving base stations, they have one user each. And that means that every access point will receive one signal that is interested in and two signals that are interfering. And then you can't really untangle that. But if you connect all of your base station together uh, and everyone have one antenna, so that's why you cannot untangle it. But then when you put them together, you have free antennas that are distributed. You have mm. free unknowns, namely your free user signals, and that is something that you can untangle. It's like, without noise is like solving a linear system of equations. Mm. Uh, so that was sort of his idea of doing this in the uplink. Uh, and then in 2001 Shamai and Seidel were t- proposing to do similar type of things in the downlink. Mm. And uh, 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 the network MIMO name appeared in 2007 uh, and a lot of these works were about taking uh, a cellular network and then let those space stations uh, work together Uh, Mm. uh, so sort of an add-on to cellular network Uh, but there were an interesting early work in 2003 called distributed wireless communication system which was precisely this. idea that we are talking about now with having uh, access points that are spread out and uh, that are supposed to provide us with a sort of consistent service quality. So it's not um, uh, based on as an add-on to an existing cellular network. Mm. And uh, yeah, then I guess there were a lot of work in 3GPP for standardization and a lot of work uh, in academia around. Yeah, say 2007 until 2012, 13 or something like that. I, I think I entered the area maybe in 2008 or nine uh, to to do some work. And then since coordinating multipoint didn't work out very much, uh, I I think a lot of people left the field for a while. I published a book in 2013, but then I also stayed away from a few years. And then in 15, uh, the self MIMO papers appeared. I guess you had your first. Paper on that topic that time, and that now uh, is sort of coming back again mm-hmm. in its uh, new refined form. Mm.
0: Yeah, so it's all rooted in, say, information theory. Um, so, uh, where, where does this stand? I mean, the cell free technology in terms of commercial implementations. For example, there is this um, company, I think P cell or Artemis Networks, that mm. built something that resembled. Uh, sell free in the form that we have been discussing it today would you want to say something about that? Yes, so this was the company that there were a lot of fuss about maybe it was like
1: five years ago and uh, uh, they were deploying uh, something in their lab uh, and they were going around to, Mm. to companies and conferences and universities to show off a Uh, sort of cell-free like network in the room and uh, I think from reading their white paper they actually implemented this type of centralized version of things Uh, and then there have been a lot of silence from this company in the last few years and I know that there are many other big vendors in the field that were looking closely at the technology and I think the, the main issue is that it was hard to scale it up them so they had Mm. a technology that worked in small scale but to make it work in the bigger scale was was an issue
0: so so we're back really at the scalability uh issues that we talked about earlier right yeah yeah So, so where do we see this heading i mean when are we going to live in a world where we are all surrounded by cell-free access points and radio stripes Mm. and so forth. Um, Will this happen, I mean, in the next 10 years or in the next 20, or do we have a vision for that? So
1: the... whenever there have been a new cellular standard, there's always been the ambition of it being future-proofed, to say, so you can uh, build whatever uh, cool idea mm-hmm. on top of it. And 5G might be successful in that kind of way. So this is a technology that is uh, supporting many of the things. So, so we should remember standards are a skeleton with the basic is that mm-hmm. to be done. And one of the things that they have done now is that they are separating what you call the control plane and the data plane. So uh, the control signals uh, uh, are sent out from every access point so that you can identify an access point and, and connect to a network. But then once you are connected, you can be certain in any way that the network, uh, finds fitting. So you could build a cell-free network on top of that. Uh, so whenever we talk about cell-free, we mean that during the data transmission uh, the data should come from all of the access points around you and all of the access points should, should uh, be serving you. So uh, in terms of building what we have been talking mostly about in this podcast episode, uh, I think this is something that you can build on top of, uh, of 5G and uh, I, one of the use cases of 5G that there's a lot of talk about is to build private 5G networks which would be like mm-hmm. having a Wi-Fi network but built on 5G technology uh, using dedicated spectrum, getting rid of all the listen before talk issues that makes Wi-Fi not very scalable to large uh, deployments as well. So. Uh, There are already products from the big vendors for those type of indoor use cases uh, in in company uh, premises and I think there we will see that they are converging towards a cell-free implementation uh, Mm. over maybe the five uh, next years or so.
0: Right, so what you're saying is that everything that we've been discussing here, I mean, and that lies in this vision of cell-free massive MIMO is entirely feasible technically, and that the development and commercial deployment of these systems might in fact happen uh, rather fast. Um, Mm. Do we have an idea? I mean, it's always hard to speculate about the future, right? And we both know that, I mean, even, you know, when I think both of us, we started to work on massive MIMO theory like 10 years ago, then at least I never really imagined that things would happen so fast and that Mm. we would be... within less than 10 years seeing full-scale commercial deployments of what was considered more or less an infeasible wild academic idea. Uh, So it's always hard to uh, (laughs) speculate about the future but if we had to speculate uh, could we do we think alike here? I mean do you think uh, what would you say Emil? Uh, Will we see cell-free massive MIMO full-scale deployed in 5 years or in 10 years or in 25 years or... (laughs) And do we not dare to say anything? I think that we, uh, even if I probably
1: have written papers where I have described uh, cell-free mass and my mass beyond five G or six G technology in some cases, uh, I, I think that this will be implemented on top of five G. Then yeah. uh, uh, we. Probably will discover along the way that there are certain uh, refinements that cannot be implemented on top of the current standard, and that mm-hmm. new releases of the new standard cannot deal with. But I think we will see implementations like this in the uh, uh, within the 5G era. So, so maybe from. Uh, five years from now there will be some first products uh, that are doing something self-reliant and and then we will see towards the end of the uh, the decade uh, uh, that there are more larger scale
0: deployments of this kind. Mm. Right that's a great prospect and it'll be highly exciting to see where this is heading. So Mm. I think that... um, Um, we are at the point where we might want to wrap up here so Mm -hmm. thanks a lot Emil it's a great conversation and uh, thanks to the audience for watching and listening and uh, don't forget to like and subscribe us on YouTube and see you next time bye-bye thank you bye-bye